from Relevant Magazine. It's the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, July 19th, 2013. It's the Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's amazing episode is brought to you by my favorite glasses company in the world, Warby Parker. If you haven't checked out Warby Parker yet, you really, really need to. It's an amazing way to buy prescription glasses and sunglasses online. And the whole thing, prescription lenses, frames, and everything, is only $95. But how do you buy glasses online? Like, how do you know? What looks good on your face? Ah, they have a solution. Warby has a home try-on program where you can go to their website and pick out five frames, and they ship them to you for free. You try them on, see which looks great, which most of them will. Send them back, and then order the ones you want right online. It's a fun and easy way to buy eyewear. And the best thing about Warby isn't their price and their style. The best thing is that for every pair you buy, Warby Parker will donate a pair of glasses to someone in need. It's a great model. It's a great company. And they have an offer for Relevant Podcast listeners. When you decide to buy your glasses from Warby Parker, uh, Relevant Podcast listeners will get free expedited two-day shipping on the final purchase by entering the promo code RELEVANT. So go over to warbyparker.com. Check it out today. All right, guys. Well, after a week in Canada and LA, I'm back. Thank God. Last week was not good. I, I, I caught that on Twitter, actually. <laughs> <laughs> a few people hit me up and going, hey, you know what? You don't know what you have until it's gone. Yeah. Can you please come back? <laughs> we, made it, we made it purposefully bad last week so that you would come back. Yeah. Oh, it was man. strategic. <laughs> uh, here with me in Orlando studios is the very lovely Calvin Keely. Hi, how are you doing? I actually did a bad Australian accent the entire episode just so people would be fully aware. <laughs> so you sounded like Brian Houston. Yeah, I sounded just like Brian. Actually, I had him come in like for the me. Outback Steakhouse the Outback guy. Steakhouse yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, to his right, Eddie New Podcast. What's up? Nice to see you. On the Skype line from Lumberland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, we're in a very dapper watch today. Chad Michaels, namely. Hello, friends. So, so Cameron, you you did not listen to last week's. I know you typically don't listen while you're away. Well, I was going but... to because <laughs> I was I, I was going to, but but I was on. Uh, I was trapped at the airport and and the Wi-Fi and yeah. the file was too big for me to download. Cameron okay. won't listen to anything that doesn't have his own voice. On it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The theory is the legit. That's theory fair. is legitimate because as I've told this before. I, if it's really great without me i don't want to know it wasn't and if it's really terrible i don't want to know yeah. <laughs> i didn't we, say we fell somewhere in the middle right of that. in the middle it was a completion grade we <laughs> yeah. made a podcast you got the coaches <laughs> award. A smiley face sticker <laughs> you did it <laughs> yeah certificate of completion <laughs> we did come up with an idea for like a spinoff podcast though which, yes. which is candy talk Dot Where org. a bunch of guys just kind of hang out and talk about candy and stuff. <laughs> and here's what's amazing. Somebody, and I actually don't know who it is, yeah. somebody bought CandyTalk.org. And if you yes. go to CandyTalk.org, it goes to the relevant podcast <laughs> site. That's amazing. I was like, no way, because somebody tweeted it this morning, and I was like, no way. And it went right to the, so CandyTalk.org is in full effect. That's amazing. Last week we had under a, construction. <laughs> they did put an animated GIF of yeah, just like a shovel with whole, a yeah. flashing yeah. Bob's Berry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, people who listened to the last week are now having to relive it. 
And that's not what, that was, yeah, that's yeah. what they were we hoping should they probably would move not. on. We're trying to move forward. <laughs> I was I, I I did miss for a legitimate reason though. I was uh, we have a lot of listeners up there in the fair fair land of Canada. Oh man, and yes. and we've said over the years some fairly disparaging. You know, loving. I'm surprised they let you in. Yeah. So I went <laughs> to Canada. Uh, I, I I was invited to a a remote lodge north of Vancouver, up in British Columbia. We had to travel by f- water taxis and ferries, and it was just in the middle of nowhere. And uh, spent a few days up there. I'll tell you, it's the most beautiful location I've ever seen in the world. It's. Um, the the people up there are very kind. They have very good French fries and t- and ketchup oh. um, on on the ferry. <laughs> I, I had on the ferry. A, on the ferry, they had like a, like a restaurant, and and it was one of the better burgers I've ever had. Wow. But more than anything, it was the fries and ketchup. Their ketchup up there a little bit sweeter. Oh. So so let me ask, so so you're saying that the the ketchup and hamburg the the hamburgers and fries on a ferry in Canada beats what we have at our finest restaurants. I'm not saying finest restaurants, but I'm saying like their fast food is better than our fast food. Their ferry food is better, is better than our fast food. Yeah. I, I'd like to right now read a comment that Mark made online, which was, while I love the show, I couldn't help but notice how overwhelmingly anti-Canadian you guys were last week. Eddie podcasting over the line. So I'm like <laughs> quietly not talking about this. I'm like, Canada French fries are the best. Everything's great. No, no. Here's the thing. Here's Sorry, the thing. Mark. I tweeted <laughs> like an official comment. apology to Canada you did. when I got back. Because like, a, like a diplomatic... You know, On behalf of the relevant podcast, I declare sorry. <laughs> yeah. It Canada. went through three or four revisions yeah. before it saw the light of day. Here's the thing. It was wonderful. And then on the way back, I spent and I spent the day in downtown Vancouver. Here's the deal. Middle of July. Not, a, not an ounce of humidity in the air. 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Not a cloud in the sky. Sunny. Downtown Vancouver is really cool. Mm-hmm. 66 degrees. Oh. Who would ever wow. leave this? So it's place? like Orlando. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like it was on the waterfront and really cool, like shops and like bistros and 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 pubs and sixty six degrees and sunny in the middle of July. I'm going. Yeah, I just kind of want to stay. Wow. That sounds beautiful. Can we move the podcast? Yeah, up that's here? what I'm saying. Let's Vancouver's go to Vancouver. I mean, the incredible. magazine can stay down here, but can we move the podcast yeah. up there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from our Vancouver studios. Yeah, I'm telling you, it, it was great. The the time we were at the lodge, I did a lot of firsts. I, I uh, there was a group of people, uh, not not to be, there was this group of people that that were invited out to Bob Goff's lodge. So if you're going to spend a, a week out in the middle of nowhere with Bob Goff, you're going to have a lot of firsts. Bob Goff has a law lodge. That's <laughs> <laughs> nice arrested development, um, and so like we um, a log lot lot. <laughs> Bob Goff's Bob log, Bob Law Lodge. Yeah, there you go. Um, he is a lawyer, right? Yes. He is. Yes. Okay, so it works. There we go. Law log lodge. Law log lodge. Bob Goff's law log logs lodge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, paddleboarded out in the middle of a thousand foot deep deep inlet. Like the, to, to describe it is is like the Pacific Ocean comes in this inlet, and then like mountains come straight out of it, like straight up. And as high up as they go is how deep they go underwater. So then it's fed by glaciers that glacier runoff at the top. There are glaciers on the top of the mountains, and so they have all these beautiful waterfalls everywhere. So there's freshwater waterfall 
mixing with the Pacific. So it's like cold and clear and crisp. And like I'm out there in the middle of this inlet paddleboarding. First time I ever paddleboarded, you know, it's an amazing experience. Seals came up. Really? To check me out. Wow. Like, what you doing? Like in our thousand. How do you know Bob Goff? Like the yeah. artist. <laughs> you were invi- you were invited to the Law Log Lodge. <laughs> By the way, seals have perfect English in Canada. Not many people know that. Yeah, perfect. No Speaking. accent. No accent. Really. Great. Oh, so I thought you like, meant the artist seal. Yeah. Came up next to you. Uh, I uh, Bob took me up in a seaplane. That was pretty amazing. Did uh, he fly? Did he pilot it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Wow. He did. Yeah. Um. Uh. I kayaked down rapids. His heart piloted it. Uh, we found we found we're at the foot of one of the uh, waterfalls that kind of turned into rapids and stuff. And I dragged one of his kayaks up to the mouth of it and kayaked down the rapids, which it was a little too rocky. Mm-hmm. It was like a like a pinball machine. I was just like slapping into boulders oh all the way gosh. down. But it was kind of fun. Did you uh, damage Bob's kayak? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, but he did look at me like, "Really, you're gonna do that?" And I'm like, ah, "Why not? What else am I gonna have the chance to kayak down a?" Glacier waterfall rapids. Don't worry, I'll fix this later. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, let's see, we uh, just explored. Uh, we ATV'd up to the top of the mountain, and uh, he has a waterfall on his property, which he's of course hooked up a hydroelectric plant to to power the property. Wow, yeah. um, he has a writer's cabin. We slept under the stars. Like he has this incredible like guest house, but there's a big deck, and we just slept outside. I've never seen so many stars in my life. You know. It was uh, that's awesome. It's pretty incredible. Jump, we went cliff jumping. Uh, uh, he has this big deck too that's about twenty five feet out over the bay, and uh, and one side doesn't have a railing. And just the last night we were there, I'm like, eh, when else am I going to be here? And I just after dinner, I just went and jumped off it, and just about halfway down, it, I kind of, <laughs> you know, you're up pretty high when halfway down a thought occurs to you <laughs> about uh, how how far <laughs> this well, is. The thought of regret. <laughs> yeah, and and no, then no, no, and no. then when I hit the icy chop <laughs> in the evening air, um, uh, I, I realized that the tide had come in and it was it was like ocean waves down there, you know, like really choppy. And I'm trying to Did swim Bob off, rescue you in a seaplane. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to swim over the dock, which was way further away than I recalled, and. Seemed like yeah. a good idea. It's still a good idea. Still, you're still kind of there in your mind, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, this I, whole trip is really something. I remember the thought of impulsively, like, yeah, why not? Carpe diem, let's go, YOLO. And uh, <laughs> I nearly died. And for the next ten minutes, I was trying to just get back alive. You know, just by the way, fairyfries.org is available. I checked. <laughs> <laughs> it's available. <laughs> Congratulations. It's, it's available. So whoever it, wants to get it. Redirect it back to the relevant podcast. Yeah, you have to use several dashes and underscores, but yeah. it's available. But it's available. <laughs> That's an incredible trip. Glad to have you back. That's awesome. So yeah. apologies to Canada. Just as a, as a, as a truce, I bought a Canada t-shirt. No. I didn't wear it. Like like what is on the Canadian t-shirt? It is red. All shirts are Canadian shirts. It says the word Canada, and it has a maple leaf. Oh. That's, all it, that's, oh. all, that's all it is. Do you wow. kind of feel like a traitor when you wear it? I haven't yet worn it, <laughs> <laughs> but I will. I was going to wear it today, but I have to go uh, tonight. I, I, I have to take a motorcycle class. Because just so you know, no one has to take a motorcycle class. <laughs> no, you chose no, to take does. a motorcycle class. I'm driving a. You're legally obligated to take this. <laughs> I a, am. There's a long story here, guys. I just trust I, I have heard the court story. order. It is the source of of much rage. I have a court order that I have to take this motorcycle safety class because of nothing that you did, though. Correct. Correct. Oh, Somebody else drove my Vespa. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. What a moment! I just got it back. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, I finally, finally. Can you give a, can you give a brief version of it for those that are listening? That Wait, are waiting the to hear courts it. just gave it back. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, they had it like like a detective has been inspecting it for like no. It took me a year. A it took it to a Canadian body shop. It took me a year to <laughs> untangle the legal mess that happened, and I'm at the final stage. So we had a part time employee who came, who 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 is no longer <laughs> who's no longer in the country. Number one, you um, got him deported because of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard to get an American citizen deported, but I did it. <laughs> um, so no, wrecking no. your so vestment enough to get him kicked out to Bolivia. The company Bob SUV it. was on its way to Catalyst two years ago. So this is two and a half years ago. Eleven. It was 2011 that this happened. Yep. Uh, and so he, uh, so it was gone. And uh, he rode a bicycle to work every day. So he had something he had to take to FedEx or something. And and Maya had left. And so so all the vehicles he would have normally used, Maya's car or the company car, were gone. And he had his bicycle. FedEx was too far. He comes to me and he says, you know, what do I do? This has to be overnighted. And I said, well, have you ever ridden a Vespa? I mean, it was, you know, my car. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, a bunch of times. I was like, well, okay, you can take my Vespa. I don't care. I was in a meeting, you know. And um, and 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 he he comes back like I throw him the keys and he comes back like a minute later and he's like, yeah, how do you start it? And I'm going, <laughs> uh, red flag number one. Yeah, yeah, if you don't know how to start a Vespa, you haven't ridden a Vespa. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and and then so I went out there and I started for him and I was like, no, you've you've ridden a 150 cc one, right? Mm-hmm. Like for sure. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I've ridden 150 cc. I was like, not 50, not the little ones. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man, cool. All right. So I go back to my office. Five minutes later, he comes back Wait, white as a ghost. I'll take the story from here because my office yeah, I was up hear, here. Yeah, I want to hear Kevin yeah, uh, so, or Chad's from here just Cal, because Cal, I, Cal, I, I was, seem very amused by it. Yeah. I was on the way to Catalyst, so my I got the after yeah. effects. My, my office was, was right up front, so I could see the road. I could hear the traffic going by, and I see, I see this guy leave, and I, about two minutes later, I hear a thud and a little bit of a car screech. And I just thought, oh, that's weird. But you hear screeches outside because, you know, our, our office is on a major uh, road. And about three minutes later, I see this guy come in with blood running down his elbow. And he does look completely white as a ghost. <laughs> and I just see him, like, head down going right for Cameron's office. And I remember... Took it a little hot. I remember <laughs> I ran into one of the other guy's offices and I just said... Oh my gosh, I think he just wrecked Cameron's Vespa. Awesome. And we were like, no, no. And so we run up front to the conference room, which is right on the road, and we look out, and sure enough, the Vespa is laying on the ground. And 30 seconds later, Cameron and this guy come walking out. And you could, you so, could take so, the so story let me, from here. So let me paint the picture. I bought this Vespa, a <laughs> nice one. I got a good deal on Craigslist. Bought it from a nice guy, missionary, actually. And, uh, well, I didn't tell it, you that it had I, nitrous in it. I got it about a year earlier, <laughs> and and I was like, oh, well, the tag doesn't expire for like nine months. So I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride that out, you know. So it's 150 cc. So you have to have a motorcycle license. I never mm-hmm. got one, and I never transferred the title. I never registered it. I never did anything. <laughs> it was sort, right. sort of under the table deal with this missionary. Yeah. So I had a handwritten bill <laughs> Which of sale. Want to do so? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so that's the context of this thing is so, so out of date, so not in my name, you know. Right. Anyway. So, so illegal, in other words. <laughs> so so he's standing in my doorway, white as a ghost, and he's like, I, I, I had an accident. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. You know, you having trouble starting it again? Because yeah. he had been gone for all of, what, five minutes? Not and even, there's, not and even, there's blood all over him. <laughs> and so then I looked at him. <laughs> really committed to the joke. I looked at him, and I saw the... Canadian ketchup all over yeah. his arm. <laughs> I saw the blood running down his arm. I saw the blood running down his arm, and I'm going, oh, no. And we walked out oh, there. Man. And he's like, and as we're walking out, he goes, it jumped on me. It jumped on me. And I'm going, this thing is flawless mechanically. There, it did not jump on anybody. Yeah, it was from a missionary. 
bought <laughs> under the table nine months ago. There's nothing wrong with this Vespa. It, can it was only a 2006 LX150 well, that exactly. had 600 miles on it. Well, uh, your point's proven then. So, as I was saying, five years this missionary yeah. rode it around his neighborhood. LX150. Garage serviced, you know, anyway. Right. So, I, I go, oh, it, so what it was was there's a, we're on a four-lane road, two, two and two, and a car was coming in the second lane uh, you know, to the right. He wanted to turn right, so he goes to try to turn in, in the one closest to us, and he cranks it Which as though it was a, a 50, as though it was a 50, and it was a 150. He lost control, slams into the car, going the same direction as him on the left side, and then falls on the right side and skids down the road. So imagine this lady in her little Honda Civic just driving along, and this... Nineteen-year-old's face is in her passenger window yeah. and then gone. You know, yeah. <laughs> so she pulls over. Hilarious he, now. He at the pulls time, over. Yeah. I mean, she's thinking she just just you know, killed a kid. Killed a kid. Yeah, yeah. 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 She is like guy. trembling when I get out there. Yeah. She's still trembling, so shaken up by it. And he knocked her rearview mirror off or whatever. Anyway, of course I didn't insure it. It's not even in my name, you know. You got time for that? So <laughs> who's got time for the law? So so anyway, we ended up suing the missionary. Yeah. <laughs> so the police comes. And, uh, so I I had to pay for her car. So three thousand dollars. Oh. I had to. You know. Then then I had to take care of all the legal stuff because I got a ticket for. <laughs> The title being out of date and not being mine. The fact that it was a 150 and my license didn't have a motorcycle endorsement. I got ticketed. Um, I, so my license got suspended. Uh, the kid got a ticket that I had to pay for. Like, there's probably... It took me about a year of going back and forth between the clerk of the court. I had to register in my name. That was a penalty. All this stuff. Finally got all that taken care of. Uh, the missionary's in jail at this point. A few months right. ago. <laughs> in North Korea. Then, so hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get all that taken care of. Then finally just went and got my Vespa fixed. $2,700. Unbelievable. More than I paid for it, first of all. You know. <laughs> so it was totaled in the, in the accident. Correct. Yeah. And, and every panel was damaged. Literally every panel, front, back, side, and side, was smashed. Jeez. And so I finally got it back. And the last step is court order. I have to go get my motorcycle endorsement. So starting tonight from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., three nights in a row, 15 hours of motorcycle classes. Oh. We wear like leather pants and jackets. and stuff? I, th- I, I think, think they provide required. the chaps. I think they provide the <laughs> chaps. <laughs> I checked the box that said, please provide chaps. One, <laughs> one of two locations in Orlando that provides chaps upon entry. So now I know fully. I know. I would, br- I would bring some like... Really strong cleaner before you put those leather chaps on. Be sweaty on those motorcycles. They're like bowling shoes. You want to spray that stuff in there first. So this kid, in the course of about four minutes, caused more financial damage than him working here for an entire year cost me. <laughs> that is really... That's you, though. I mean, it's just like you run this magazine, you do all this, you have tickle fights with Bob Goff in Canada, but you, you forget to get insurance for a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, like, it's like perfect. I love it. Yeah. And ironically, the package never actually got sent. It's been, <laughs> been sitting in the front. It's, it's still there. It's still there. <laughs> Two years later, yeah. There's Someone, a whole issue of relevance. It's like, it's like, it's like looking release. at their watch. No one's called, like, so we figure, eh, just, it's like It's like Castaway. They don't need it. I'm going to deliver it one day. One day. <laughs> now that I'm going to have a motorcycle license. On, yeah, on your Vespa, you'll deliver it. And then literally about three weeks later the kid resigns and moves to Guatemala 
and I went mad at him. I how did I? You you right. It's very Thank true. You. To Cameron's credit, he was not very. He was not mad at the kid. He was very gracious, very kind. This kid was. I mean, he was petrified. Mortified. I mean, why and, wouldn't he? Um, and almost died. I mean, this was a real moment for that. And guy. so, I mean, even to this day, whenever somebody's having a bad day here at the office, oh, yeah. the go-to line is, "Well, <laughs> at least you weren't the kid that wrecked Cameron's Vespa." <laughs> <laughs> no matter how bad your day is, it can't be that bad. <laughs> That's how we ended last week's podcast. Well, at least we didn't wreck the Vespa. <laughs> this may have been a train wreck, but we didn't. It wasn't a Vespa wreck. Yeah. Are you going to be over in Daytona during Bike Week and doing that whole thing? Yeah. That's my on say, a Vespa. On a Vespa. On a Vespa. Being the coolest guy there. Bike Week is insane. I remember when I was. Li- <laughs> I remember when I was living there. And like you would hear, even all the way up to Orlando, like motorcycles just like rip down the, the oh. highway. And there are legit like motorcycle gangs, yeah. like not just like dudes that wear, you know, like veterans that wear like leather jackets with their old like Navy ship number on it. I'm talking like really bad looking dudes. Like yeah. one guy, I, I seriously, I got passed on the interstate one time. The dude, you know, he looked like like something out of like a Mad Max movie, but he seriously had a hatchet holder on his motorcycle. Like he was armed That's with a hatchet. Cool. <laughs> well, I have one of my Vespa. Yeah. So you, you just, you just never, never know, know when you're going to need to pull out your hatchet. Yeah. I, I'm taking Cohen uh, camping this weekend, and last night on Amazon.com, I had to buy a bunch of stuff like hatchets. I didn't That's have so. to, but I did. But, but yeah. you're really this, this wasn't really like. He wasn't really like the type that looked like he was into like wilderness survival. This no. looked more like an urban hatchet. This is like this is like uh, defending his territory kind of. Yeah, thing. this guy's never been on Amazon.com. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a great show for you today. Uh, coming up later, one of our uh, I don't know. We're huge fans of this guy. Uh, he's a. Uh, Best known, I guess, for for comedy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. His name is Tim Seidel. He's he's literally the um, first guy who ever tweeted a joke on Twitter. Uh, he's one of the guys that turned it into what it is now for for comedy. Bad uh, banana, bad banana. Yeah, bad banana is his Twitter handle. Uh, probably ninety nine percent of you follow him. Um, and also, we uh, spotlight uh, an artist that is on the cover of the Fader magazine right now. It's in the new. Uh, they're also in the new issue of Relevant. Uh, Heim is coming up later. Stay tuned for that. But at first, your entertainment releases uh, coming out on Tuesday, July 23rd. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Oh, I like them. Coming out with Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. The Love Language is coming out with Ruby Red. And Weekend is coming out with Jinx. Is it The Weekend? No, it's, it's weekend, weekend, the uh, rock band, not the R&B singer. Gotcha. Thinking of music last night, I, I, I uh, finally booked all of our stuff for Lollapalooza in mm. a couple weeks. Yeah. Very, got very excited. What? I have an annual pilgrimage to Lollapalooza every year, and this year Chad's going with me. On huh. the on the Vespa. On the Vespa. Just, just, gonna, two, just, just two, two dudes on a Vespa. Yeah. <laughs> with a hatchet. Don't forget your hatchet, guys. Dumb yeah. and dumber style. It is the Rockies, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we go to yeah, Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza, you guys are bringing hatchets, right? <laughs> you guys, like, uh, camp out there? It's in downtown yeah. Chicago, so no, we're staying in at a the, hotel. We're staying at a hotel. Now, do you guys go like regular folks, and you just get tickets and you go, or is there like a kind of because you're media? We have press that. passes, and Cameron has a photo pass, which so means I can get, get down the on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. He actually performs one night. Awesome. Yeah, I come out yeah. and do some improv. Yeah, he, and he beatboxes. Right, <laughs> some improv. <laughs> <laughs> at, Lollap- at the Lollapalooza stand-up improv. Night. Okay, uh, everyone, uh, stage. Give me an occupation. Occupation. Veterinarian. <laughs> okay, veterinarian. Okay, now. You- <laughs> So so the fun thing about Lollapalooza is it's in the middle of downtown Chicago. So you know if you've got a few hour gap, you don't want to see anybody. You can just go to H and M. You can just like what? Wa- 
You just walk over and go shopping, grab lunch. H&M? Yeah, why not? Of all the things to no, say when I'm in downtown Chicago. That place is the worst. No, it's not. What are you talking about? Well, for me, I can't shop I'm wearing H&M. exclusively H&M right now. Right, but I don't... like. <laughs> Your clothing is the worst. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Been meaning Thanks. to tell you. Take a hint. <laughs> Listen, when, when you drop sizes and you have to get a whole new wardrobe, H&M is a godsend because it's so cheap. I wish you would have said Old Navy, but we'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> it was close. I got a break from Lollapalooza. I'm going to go run over Old Navy real quick. Can I get <laughs> get some cargo get some shorts? Mo- I some get some I new polos and flip flops. I just saw a super weird commercial about capris, so I got to go get some. I need I need uh, some new cargo shorts. To, uh, I need a pocket to hold my hatchet. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. shoot! I forgot my white capris this year. All right, head over Old Navy. Shoot. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Lala. So so Chad and I will do a podcast live from Lala. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, we'll bring you guys uh, audio experience while we're there. It'll That'd be, be cool. cool. Yeah, neat. Um, movies coming out on Friday, July twenty sixth. The Wolverine. Not to be confused with Wolverine or any of the other Wolverine mm-hmm. movies. This is the, the Wolverine. The Wolverine. I uh, gotcha. Uh, also coming out the To Do List. Uh, Calvin was a writer on that one. I was. Yeah. Anything was. with list now they <laughs> right. number one consultant. You get a lot of royalties for. Oh, yeah. He, he copyrighted any sequential items. You're getting to check. <laughs> he patented a list. Yeah, ever yeah. since Schindler's List, man. I do a lot of cook- oh. I do a lot of cookbooks. You know, a lot of money in cookbooks. <laughs> uh, Blue Jasmine is also uh, coming out. That's Blue Lake it. Jasmine. Uh, Alec Baldwin, Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. and Don Miller. Different movie. <laughs> uh, okay, that'll do it for your entertainment releases. Stay tuned. Up next, slices. Podcasts are sponsored by Why Not Today. Today, a new movement is sweeping the world, a movement to set oppressed people free, free from slavery, sex trafficking, poverty, and injustice. Why Not Today by Matthew Cork and Ken Kemp is a story of how freedom is happening among the untouchables of India and an invitation to be part of this movement. For more information, visit nottodayresources.com. You're listening to Beck. The song is I Won't Be Long. Like he had to run to the restroom real quick. I'll be right back. He's in the studio. Hey, I'll, I'll be right back. Play this. Gotta go get a hatchet. <laughs> it's, it's his new single. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you heard Parade of Lights. The song is uh, We're the Kids from the album We're the Kids. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? Okay, so there is a very prominent science, culture, and technology writer named Virginia Heffernan who's written for a variety of prestigious outlets and including uh she's a former writer at the new york times she wrote for slate online she's currently a columnist and contributor to yahoo news and her recent column that ran uh on july 11th is causing a little bit of controversy online um because like i said her background is in science and technology and the column is called why i am a creationist um so the the whole uh, crux of the piece is she talks about you know how unlike a lot of people in her field um, that she in media and particularly science and technology media 
she believes in God and she believes that, uh, you know, God is the source of creation. Here's a line from the story. It says, <clears throat> at heart, I'm a creationist. There I said it. At least you, dear readers, won't now storm out of a restaurant like the last person I admitted that to. In New York City, saying you're a creationist is like confessing you think Ahmadinejad has a couple of good points. Maybe I'm the only creationist I know. And she kind of went on to say how she arrived at her position as a, as a uh, creationist who believes in God, believes in uh, the supernatural, you know, uh, pretty much in the Bible. Uh, she mentioned she believes there are angels, and uh, she's also written things that uh, take a variety of different positions on, on several issues. But uh, what she probably didn't expect was the huge backlash that it created uh, this week among other science and uh, technology writers, including Carl Zimmer, who's written for uh, a ton of different outlets, New York Times, NPR. Um, and he started sort of this Twitter battle with, with her, basically saying that her column is an example of what's wrong with journalism. Uh, following the, the kind of the Twitter dust up, uh, both Gawker and Slate ran pretty scathing takedown pieces. Uh, Gawker called her a science-phobic, angel-believing, climate-change skeptic. And Slate even warned that the essay itself was a shameful confession and that it was probably a bad career move for someone that writes in the field of science and technology. She's yet to respond to her critics, but her article uh, that's up on Yahoo is continuing to get a lot of feedback, and it's called Why I'm a Creationist. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is simply admitting that you believe that God created the universe could inspire such vitriol in return. Because, like I said, it wasn't just criticism in return or, or debate. A lot of this got kind of personal with uh, Virginia Heffernan. Well, this is, I mean, it's unfortunate that's the case, but I mean, that's, you know, I'm not totally shocked. But I mean, this is kind of yet another example of uh, the awesome little string of, of uh, Twitter interactions that's been going on in the last couple of weeks. I mean, you know, like even uh, while I was gone, the Trayvon Martin verdict came in and a lot of people saying a lot of a lot of things about that, too. It is weird how, well, I guess it's something that a lot of people have observed. People are so emboldened on Twitter. I'd say even more on Twitter than Facebook to say things that... Yeah, Facebook, you're not anonymous. I mean, you have to stand there and people can click on your name and yeah. kind of go after you. But When the verdict came in, I mean, it, Twitter was an was awful... Was it crazy? It I was an awful place I wasn't to be. in yeah, communication. Facebook, it was all it, bad. It was, yeah, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, Tyler, actually, he, he uh, tweeted the next day. He's like, is it safe to go back on Facebook yet? I mean, because it was just such intense... Uh, either side, just throwing daggers at each other. It yeah, really, it's almost really... like everyone's entitled to an opinion, but one, no, no one's obligated to... I don't have to share my opinion in response to someone else's. I can right. think differently about an issue than someone else without getting into some, you know, ridiculous argument on Twitter with someone I don't even know, you know? Like, I, I don't know why people feel compelled to do that. Eddie, you're, you've, you've been a counselor. I, wh what is it? Like, I feel no compulsion to declare my vantage point about, you know, controversial issues mm -hmm. on, on Twitter or social media so I can be the, you know, show everybody that I have the right opinion. I have no compulsion in that. Right. What is it that it causes people to do that? I think that there is something in the anonymity, even though people know your name, you're still hiding. I think there's something, a, 
in the fear of engaging in a real debate where you may be forced to change or have to give a deeper account for your thoughts other than 140 characters that that attracts people to that form, that lets people just want to kind of get in and get out. You, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I don't think that people are sitting around. I mean, I saw people, friends of mine on Twitter and Facebook, voicing super strong opinions who I had seen that day. And we'd never talked about it. And they were just having a nice, lovely day. And then all of a sudden, the verdict came out, and they're just up in arms. But there's never any personal. There's never sitting around a table actually having it out. I think there's a fear of really engaging in actual conversation. And plus, Twitter, by design, you you can only – you know, each tweet is only 140 characters. So Mm -hmm. how how much of a well-thought-out, articulate position can you possibly communicate in a series of tweets, you know? Yeah. I also think there's a certain, and I'm not saying that all people do this, but there's a certain, not narcissism, because that's too far, but there's a certain desire to write the thing that gets retweeted and favorited, that gets you into a certain camp of people that are clearly lit up, that people will retweet and say, yes, I agree. And there's something about that affirmation of, I agree with the point that you're making. And it's other people trying to do the same thing, just saying a one-off statement there's it's a very strange phenomenon to watch especially like like when somebody dies like everybody does the rest in peace this person rest in peace this person and i i get it because we miss the you know there's a famous person whose music or art touched our life in some way but what is the compulsion to be the person that says it what's the you know what i'm saying i i don't i just still don't understand that fully do you think there's an element of the mob mentality if for lack of a better term, yeah. like when kind of just this one point of view just kind of rushes yeah. across yeah. media. Yeah, and it's almost like, yeah, people say things that they wouldn't say in normal life yeah. that maybe they'd like to, but because of you know different social circumstances or because of their personality, they, they don't have the you know courage or the setting to express their opinions. But on Twitter, anyone can get on. And, and type something stupid out on their phone right. and, and deliver it instantly, you know? But I think there's also, and now I'm contradicting myself fully, because I also think there are some people where it's the the desire to be known and the desire to, to be anonymous. But I think there's sometimes people just like, somebody listen to me. And I, and I mm-hmm. think that, I mean, we don't have a lot of forums to to do that. I, I think this is a way that's just like, okay, my 150 followers will listen to what I'm saying and they want to be heard, but in a way that's not, it comes from, from a good spot, but in a way that I think that I think opens up that there's, there's a deeper need there that's not being filled. Like they're not being heard outside of this form. So this is what they've got. I, I don't know. It's very, it's a very strange thing. It's very weird to watch social media. I don't think we've wrapped our minds around the effect that social media has on these kinds of conversations. Because, I mean, the story you just shared, Jesse, the whole everything with Trayvon Martin, there is a lot of good discussion happening. We should be talking about yeah, um, absolutely. the law in Florida. We should be talking about, about what happened here. We should be talking about race and all of that. But the 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 way that this conversation is happening is just damaging and polarizing. So to catch up on everything, I, I, I turned on CNN or whatever, and they literally, like, they pit three, you know, like, they have six commentators, and, like, three of them are hard extreme on one side of the prosecution, hard extreme on the side of the defense, yeah. and it's almost like them yelling at each other has almost, like, created the dynamic that right. we're, like, supposed to follow in our mm. national discourse. You know, it's like, you have to be extreme on one side or the other of, of any issue, right? and the place for... 
understanding and and maybe being challenged and considering fair-minded uh, viewpoints that you hadn't yet considered. That, that there's just no place for that. That's at least the example right. that's shown in media, and people are I think are just following suit on social yeah. media. You know the other you know thing that that does like when we when we're inundated with that on you know news and uh, on cable and on Twitter is it makes everyone think that they have to have an opinion on every issue. Hmm. You know hmm. where. You know, everyone has to come down on some side of it. It's, it's, you know, that makes it seem like it's no longer okay to say, you know what, I don't know what the right thing is here. Mm. This is a very tough situation. It was a tragic situation. I don't know what was right and what's wrong. I do know that, you know, I, I have compassion for, you know, in this case, the victim or if it's a political issue for the people that are suffering. But mm. it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay not to have an opinion, yeah. much less not to tweet about it. Because I don't have an opinion about a lot of this. I don't have an opinion about. I mean, when I really to me, it's tragic. And I watched, yeah. you know, I watched this stuff and 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 learned. I didn't know this obscure, odd law that apparently mm-hmm. affected the outcome here. I mean, it's not any debate that, you know, this was preventable. It's not any debate that 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 they both, you know, kind of escalated the situation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's not a debate that, that, that George was legally carrying a, a firearm and stuff. Yeah. And it's just like there is a law that, that allowed this to happen. I mean, clearly in the verdict, you know, but so let's have a, a discussion about gun laws. Right. Let's have a discussion about, about the law that, that, that allowed this acquittal to happen. And, you know, like that's to me the debate or, or, or the race issue, the fact that how this was handled, you know, but uh, to me, those are more nuanced, and and social media is not the place to sit there and just like blast, yeah. particularly Twitter. Yeah. Right. right. It, it is a perfect forum for a vocal minority, like Twitter, or Facebook. That is that is who has the loudest voice on those. Where most people, I think, really fall in the middle of the bell curve and are just trying to figure it out. The silent can, majority. Can, yeah. can I hmm. can I just bring one thing to the table that may restore somewhat our faith in the collective voice that is evident on Twitter? Um, I was going to bring this slice, and I, uh, it sort of segues nicely. The film Sharknado premiered. <laughs> that was <laughs> excuse amazing. me. The film Sharknado, Sharknado premiered am- last week. Yeah. Are you are you guys familiar with this pheno- phenomenon? I wasn't yeah, until I went very. on Twitter, and okay. the entire yeah, world so, was talking about it. Yeah. So real real quick, uh, the <clears throat> Sci Fi Channel um, did this. Uh, you know, really over the top. It's still on my DVR. I've yet to make it through the entire thing, unfortunately. It's about a shark. It's about a tornado that picks up sharks out of the, the Pacific Ocean and launches a sharknado attack on the city of Los Angeles. Is it a well, true story or is it fiction? It's a documentary, actually. Oh, yeah. well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's a, a warning. documentary. It's yeah. a warning tale of what's to come. They, yeah. uh, I was driving there yesterday, uh, you know, a few days Dragon. ago with a friend, and and he was like, you know, he lives in front of a reservoir, and he was like, it was awesome last week. You know, these helicopters were coming, scooping up water for like putting out wildfires. And I was like, man, you guys have like everything. You have mud fly, mudslides, and earthquakes, and wildfires, and like every extreme weather you have. He goes, but we don't have hurricanes. I'm like, hurricanes you can see coming three weeks in advance, and you right. can get out of town. Slowly it's not a big pack deal. up your stuff, yeah, make a not, reservation in Atlanta. It's not a big deal at all. <laughs> Take a nice road and trip. Now they have sharknados. Yeah. Man, yeah. Why would anybody live in LA? <laughs> well, so you know, kind of, kind of with the Twitter angle, the the show it literally exploded. Twitter, there were thousands of tweets every second when it happened, and every it, everyone became a comedian, and everyone joined in on a big joke. There was uh, Mashable put together a list of some of the top tweets 
from some of the top jokes that were said to the night. But one thing that caught my attention was from a Twitter username, Charles C.W. Cook said, Judging by my Twitter feed, Sharknado is the most politically uniting thing to happen to, to America for a decade. <laughs> and, and I think anyone that was on Twitter that night and read some of the jokes that were on there, the other side of Twitter and the other side of the social media phenomenon is that I feel like it, it does offer a medium for people to take part in a collective experience. I agree. That, you know, you saw it with the Grammys last year. Everyone was on Twitter that night, you know, making jokes. It wasn't at other people's expense. It was everyone taking part in this funny, shared cultural experience. Yeah, but it was at people's expense. Well, I mean, it was... <laughs> at least mine were. <laughs> at the, of performers, not of other, po- you know, political angles and things. No, I, I drop a lot of political tweets during the Grammys. <laughs> Yours is all about global warming. But all that to say is, I think there is another side. You know, I know Sharknado is an insane example. But there is another side to the social media coin where people can unite in this kind of cool cultural collective experience when they're not out off, you know, creating polarizing debates about nuanced political issues. So, so creation care, science, Trayvon Martin sure. divides us. Sharknado's well, unite us. Just to be clear. Sharknado has unite. But I, I, I do want to preface one thing that BJ Novak, a former uh, cast member of The Office, tweeted. I'm afraid that now, now that if we have a real Sharknado, everyone's going to treat it like a joke. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not all good. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> all right, what do you have, Eddie? Um, well, I just to completely turn the corner, I would like to bring Florida news back. I know we used to do a lot of Florida news. I would like uh, to do that every once in a while because we live here and we have to suffer through that reality. And so I would like to talk about it a little bit. Uh, so a Florida man awoke, uh, and we've heard these stories a lot, but I'm, I'm just curious what you guys think about what what the deal is with this. Florida man awoke speaking only Swedish. What's the deal with Florida what's, dudes? <laughs> what's the deal? I mean, come on. Uh, so he awoke uh, from a, uh, he was unconscious for four months. They found him in a Southern California motel and he woke up and he spoke only Swedish, could not speak English, called himself Johan Eck. Um, this guy was not Swedish. No, 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 no. He was a Florida man. This was not in Florida, but he was a Floridian who was in Coachella Valley. He was in there in town for a tennis tournament, um, and uh, he has some sort of accident that uh, that doesn't get outlined here, and he is unconscious for four months. Um, Did and- the accident happen at an IKEA? Well, I was going to say, I think he lost. I think he lost his mind trying to put together IKEA furniture. <laughs> Woke up four months later. So they find him in a Southern California motel. He wakes up. He doesn't remember how to exchange money, take public transportation, or speak English. He also, and then this is where the guy turns the corner for me. He also doesn't remember his son, which is kind of a bummer. But he definitely doesn't remember his two ex-wives. Um, and so this guy, his story is unraveling. Um, but as they've looked into his past. They found out that he worked at the Honey Bee off the Rhode Island coast in 19, 19- which I don't know what that is. And I Googled it and couldn't find it. So if you find it and I just so, said something but you're awful, glad it was included in the news story. Right. Because it's just and it's B.E.A. Honey Bee. Ugh, I don't know what that is. Anyhow. And he spent time in Mexico and Miami. So and then the paper dug up. uh 
uh, information that he had taught in China and all of these kinds of things for in Japan for 14 years. So, so, so are you suggesting this was all a ruse that he didn't have some sort of mental? It is, and that's where the article a, a is, Breaking Bad type situation. It is, but I mean, huh. there's some. We hear these stories enough that someone wakes up and is a completely different person. Is it always <laughs> just a lie, or is there something to this that we don't understand? Well, you're a counselor. I don't know. I don't know either. That's why I'm asking you guys. I mean, you guys are members of a podcast. I figured you'd know. <laughs> I've watched a lot of Gilligan's Island. So. Let me let me start my statement with that. You got knocked on the head with a coconut. Like yeah, yeah. Island. Coconuts yeah. Are, are, can make you become different people. They're not now, all winners. Everyone knows how to cure this ailment. How? Another coconut. Right. <laughs> right that's always yeah, another you, you blow get, to the head with a coconut. You get struck by lightning again by the fountain. What do you have, Calvin? Well, as you know. With my cloak and dapper project, one of the things that we like to focus on is grooming. You know, grooming is a good thing to do, to be groomed. Well, wait, you have well, people groom you? I, I have, yes. <laughs> you guys are well groomed. You have a and team I, of Do you I go photo, to like a groomer? I photo document it. I go to a doggy groomer. And uh, they're a little more, you know, less expensive, but uh, more, they have good clippers. more attention to detail. Yeah. 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 Um, you can misbehave and they're totally used to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'll put me in a corner, but I mean, it's a good alone time for me. Yeah. I mean, you're caged while you're being groomed. So because uh, I try to, you know, stay abreast of uh, grooming rituals going on across the world. Do you? I do. <laughs> I really do. Do you have like Google uh, alerts for different like grooming keywords it's important jesse it's a it's a part of my life now <laughs> oh look so a man brushed his hair in istanbul look here's I'm a committed. new news story about neck hair yeah. let's see what's going on <laughs> i'm gonna show to share this on the podcast did you guys know um so combining that passion that newfound passion of mine with of course the asian beat of course i'd like to talk to you about a a new phenomenon happening in japan a new japanese facials that use snails live snails and the slime they leave behind are part of a new facial treatment offered by a Tokyo salon. The snail slime face Coming cream. Coming to a mall kiosk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they put the snails on your face, and they just let them crawl around, and they leave behind that little trail of... That's the snail trail. Uh, that, of goo. And it's supposed to help you get a softer, smoother, more youthful-looking appearance. It's just got slimy mucus. Uh, they say it has... Uh, uh, provides beneficial properties to the skin, easing inflammation, providing moisture. They call it, of course they do, the Celebrity Escargot Course. But it, I call Do you it, eat the snails when they're done? I think you can eat it afterwards. Yeah, or do they just full... crawl right into your mouth when they're done? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I just look at this whole thing and I just say, Escar, no way. <laughs> <laughs> you and those jokes. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Tim Seidel, Bad Banana. of this week's podcast are brought to you by Experience Mission, a Christian nonprofit that challenges people to go, serve, and live their mission. With a focus on empowering local communities, Experience Mission provides opportunities for short-term missions trips, education scholarships, and six-month cross-cultural immersion programs in Africa and the Caribbean. To find out how you can partner with EM and communities around the world, get connected at experiencemission.org.
You're listening to I Break Horses. The song is Denial. There's so much there right <laughs> Tim Seidel uh, is probably better known to you on Twitter as Bad Banana. He's a husband, father, creative director, and writer from Nebraska, of all places. His tweets have been featured on NPR's Weekend Edition. He's uh, appeared in a book with more coming. He's uh, performed on stage, printed onto t-shirts, read on television, and posted online at the Washington Post, New York Times. He's been named to the funniest people and must-follow list from, by the likes of Paste and MSNBC. And in our May-June issue of Relevant, Tim actually wrote the column uh, called uh, Life Lessons from a National Pastime. It was a great piece. You should check it out. Our very own Tyler Huckabee, also from Nebraska, recently spoke to him. Here is Tim Seidel. When you first started, remember your first like your first Twitter account? Did you start off as Bad Banana? Yeah, I started as Bad Banana, and if anyone would have told me what this would become, I would have spent more time thinking about a different handle. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of a ridiculous thing to be meeting people and going into meetings and, and being introduced as Bad Banana. <laughs> I, I, it's sort of a little bit of a stomach punch every single time that happens. Did you sign up thinking, like, maybe a comedy Twitter? Like, that would be fun. Was that the idea? No, it was so early. I had read about it in the advertising magazine, and uh, I literally got onto it um, thinking, is this something I can recommend to clients? Is this some sort of new kind of advertising and marketing channel? And I just, I was, I loved the simplicity of it. I signed up literally thinking I would you know, get rid of the account in a couple months. And I just, I really enjoyed it. And I told everyone about it. And I kind of thought this would, this kind of served a need. And I thought that this was going to be kind of successful. And I just kind of enjoyed playing around with it. And then after a while, it sort of realized, I sort of realized that it's sort of the perfect one-liner vehicle. So I started to kind of do jokes and I would get a lot of response. And that was before there were things like retweets and and at replies. I mean, it was all just sort of this manual, weird community of, of, it's hard to describe. Now I sound like one of those early uh, uh, astronauts talking about the (laughs) tiny space capsules they were in when they first orbited the Earth. But it was a different world back then. But that's when I started doing the jokes. What is it about Twitter do you think that brings out maybe both Twitter and the stand-up format that bring out a different side of those people or yourself even? I think there's a desire to want to say something about the world around you and and to have a take on things and to have a different perspective. But I think in the same way, you kind of want to hide a little bit and protect yourself a little bit. So if you're standing on a stage telling jokes, you're kind of hiding behind a microphone and you're hiding behind the fact that there's a lot of people in front of you. And for me, I'm kind of hiding behind the fact that I'm just sort of broadcasting this out. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. And I just, I move on to the next joke. Um, So, I mean, I'm not opening my heart and and soul the way I guess some people do on stage, but um, it's an opportunity for me to be sort of an extroverted introvert, I guess, in a way. Uh, 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 uh. 
Do you have a favorite tweet of yours? Favorite tweet of mine. The favorite tweets that I do, very few other people like. <laughs> I don't know whether that means they are funny or whether I'm just off base, but uh, I like absurdist humor, you know. Um, I like things that take advantage of the of Twitter and the fact that you're updating something now and somebody's reading something now. So I can do a late night post and say something like calling it a night because I'm too tired to get out of thesaurus <laughs> uh, or, or my bed is calling me. And seriously, that's a horrible feature that you should not pay extra for. On <laughs> uh, things like, you know, and I've, I've kind of reached a point too, where I sometimes will run a tweet by somebody uh, whether it's a friend or my wife or some or somebody just nearby, because I want to make sure that it's saying what I'm, what I want it to say. And more than once, I've had somebody just kind of look back at me and shake their head and it's like, "That's not funny, dude." And I'll post it anyway. <laughs> I really, really liked the joke where I, it was something along the lines of, uh, uh, "Accidentally went to a plastic surgeon for my Tommy John surgery, and now I look just like him." <laughs> that joke only appeals to a very small number of people. <laughs> Seems there's a lot of affirmation behind Twitter in terms of the retweets or the at replies or even the favorites. Like people are people go there and they fire something out and they're just hoping that it's like a it's like one of Noah's doves. They just hope it brings back some sort of olive branch of, of hope that, yeah, I'm good. I'm funny. Is that something that you've had to cope with? Like you send out something that you hope gets thousands of retweets and, and it doesn't. Or do you feel like you're looking for something, something that's affirming and maybe it doesn't come through that you've had to deal with? Yeah, I think, although I think I look at it in a slightly different way in the sense that um, I'm playing around. So this isn't my job. I'm not getting paid to tweet. So in a way, I kind of look at this as sort of like I'm a stand-up comic and I'm testing out material. And sometimes things work that I don't think will work. Sometimes things um, don't work when I thought it was going to be a slam dunk. And I do take a look at this, those stats just because it's sort of like a comedian you want to sit there and you want to hear what your audience is doing. I, Steve Martin in his book about his stand-up career, you know, basically says it takes 10 years for a stand-up comedian to hone his craft and build an act. And, and he would tape his act every night and go home and listen to it in the hotel and listen to where people laughed and, or where people seemed to struggle with, with whether they understood a premise or something. And, 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 and he used that feedback so that's how I've kind of always looked at that is sort of a feedback as to, you know, how much of a theater of the mind can I get away with or how, how much of a, of a leap can I let someone take? Or if there's a current event, you know, is this a current event that everyone knows right now? Or is it a current event that only people who are very much into news know about right now? So is it going to succeed or is it going to fail? So that's part of the fun for me. And I think as a result, um, you know, I've, only, I've been doing it for a long time. I, I think I've put in the internet equivalent of 10 years of, of uh, testing material out, and it's made me a much better writer, much better joke writer, uh, and, and to have the confidence, I think, uh, in, in my writing. Uh, so that's been 
pretty cool. And then I must say that, to your point, there really is sort of this whole subculture of people who really chase after stars and retweets, and that's sort of the goal. And my goal is always just to kind of entertain and and to make people smile. Um, the other stuff is just sort of ways for me to monitor that. That was Tim Seidel. Follow him on Twitter at Bad Banana. Find out more at timsidel.com. Listening to Bell X One. Sounds like a bicycle part or something. I don't. Uh, the song is "Careful What You Wish For" from the album Chop Chop. I love how those three things just sound like they don't go together. Haim is an indie pop and R and B band from LA. Uh, the band comprises sisters Este Danielle and Alana Haim, along with drummer Dash Hutton. They're frequently compared to Fleetwood Mac because um, their sound is has been described as like new folk meets 90s R&B. Their debut EP Forever was released last summer and their debut full length is finished and will be available in September. They signed with Jay-Z's Rock Nation. Really cool. They're actually currently on the cover of the Fader magazine and their spotlight in the drop section in the new issue of Relevant. Our very own Tyler Huckabee recently spoke to him. Here is Haim. too is that nobody can make it through uh, an interview with you guys or or a review of you without bringing up Fleetwood Mac it seems like <laughs> yeah. and I'm wondering if that was intent like did you did you set out like Fleetwood Mac as our primary influence in Heim no definitely not definitely not it was I think it's just people here and our music I mean obviously we we grew up listening to Fleetwood Mac just by it being on the you know on the oldie stations on the radio and I think in high school I got really into Tusk but I, it was never like a it was never an intentional thing I don't I still don't really hear it There's, maybe I hear it a little bit but it's definitely yeah it's not intentional Talk to me about uh, about touring or, or even just recording with with your sisters. Like I love my siblings and we get along really well, but but we would kill each other if we were trying to like, <laughs> record one single song together. Does one of you have veto power over the rest of you? 
definitely not. I mean, it, it is right now. It's kind of like a, a stressful thing because we've never had to like answer to a record label before. Sure. sure. And also, recording recording for us has always kind of been tough. We've been a band since 2007. I mean, we've been a family band since we were really young, but as high we've been a band since 2007, just like, you know, playing around LA, like, you know, a couple times a month, trying to gain a fan base that way, just through playing live, and it didn't really help us. But every six months, we'd go into the studio to try and record something, and every time we'd come out not liking what we recorded, mm -hmm. just sonically and... You know, so it, it was really hard to kind of find our sound and what we hear in our head. It took us like, you know, until last year to really to really believe in something that we recorded. So now that we have to do that on a time like constraints is like really, really frustrating and really scary. I think for us. So we're that's probably the most tense thing is we're kind of on a timeline right now. But you know, it's, we can't complain. We're so happy to be, you know to finally be able to have the money to, to be in a studio. Like before, you know, we'd have to like pull all of our money to go in a studio for two days and try to record like a five song EP. Like we did that like five times sure. and it never worked. So now we actually have time to like be in a studio and we have, you know, the money to like kind of explore and, and figure out exactly what we want our record done. But again, it's the time, that's the main kind of stressful thing I think right now. start to figure out like maybe Heim is it like after because you've done a lot of different music stuff all, all three of you have throughout your most of your lives it seems like was there a time when it started to feel like this is this is a thing this is really going to be it I mean we always hoped that but it didn't it didn't like we all had day jobs until like April or something so we always hoped it would kind of be like a thing but not until um, we released the EP were we like, oh my god, I think something's like starting to happen. Like after we got back from South by Southwest last year, it was kind of like kind of crazy. Um, but we always, we always like hoped and dreamed that it would work out. But for a couple of years, I mean, really towards right before the February EP, we were kind of like, is this ever going to happen? Like <laughs> we were kind of like, we didn't give up, but we were just kind of like, Meh, this is kind of like the last go ahead kind of a thing but we didn't we never really gave up we just knew that it needed the timing needed to be right and it ended up being right i guess last year so. writing especially when you're doing lyrics like what kind of stuff inspires you like what what do you like writing about the most i mean it's kind of just it's, it's whatever is i'm kind of you know feeling feeling that day or yeah it's all it's all kind of random 
most of our songs so far that have been released have been about, you know, kind of our past relationships mm-hmm. collectively. My, my sisters and I past relationships. Um, so yeah, you know, love, love and loss. That was Haim. Follow him online at Haim the Band on Twitter. Check him out at HaimTheBand.com. Yeah, I may never know the reason, but what I never know will never stop me from believing. Why you trying to convince me that what I believe is empty? Turns you into my enemy, simply plotting against me. And your motives are phony, cause homie, you do not know me. So how in the world you feel something for me? You couldn't possibly understand the prophecy that doctored me and cropped me into the man that you see standing before you. I know I'm wrong, you. One Peter, two and nine, you ain't never read it. Treating the word of God like it's being kept a secret. But he who You're listening to Eshan Burgundy. Song is Tell You Why, featuring Jacob. Funny, I'm blood rushing to my head. Speaking of blood rushing to my head, I'm eating some nuts and got some water right now because um, <laughs> I've had a headache for three weeks. Still? Remember when you had the earache thing? Probably you a, a doctor? Or? Probably a, a normal. No, uh, I was in Canada. They don't have doctors. Oh. Um, there the jabs go again. <laughs> <laughs> and your And we're back. Could could it could have you stopped like consuming anything that you typically no. consume? But I posted this on Facebook yesterday and I loved how <laughs> everybody I, all these comments, everybody was sure that it was this thing. This one you know, everybody had a different you know, reasoning, mm-hmm. but I haven't stopped or started anything. I think it's allergy related. I think it's like sinus headache. Yeah. yeah. That's my guess. You're allergic to Canada. But but I've never really had headaches before. I'm not a headache guy. Even when yeah. I would like detox off coffee and stuff, I, I never really get headaches. And so for me to have like a headache that doesn't leave for three weeks, I, I'm pretty sure it's a tumor. We had a, oh mm, gosh. Wow. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to die. Wow. That's but isn't that a 50 50 movie, right? The Seth Rogen movie. Where didn't he have like a headache or something? It turned into like cancer or tumor or something. Oh, right. You, you know what I'm talking With about? Yeah, J- Joseph Gordon Lovett. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That movie. That's oh, what's that's gonna right. happen to me. I need to get a like a, a buddy to walk me through my chemo treatment. I had a rough time at work in November. I had a migraine every Saturday for four weeks. And then things oh, yeah. got less stressful. Yeah, I mean that sucks and all, but just be glad you didn't wreck Cameron's Vespa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> way better than way better than that Guatemalan kid or <laughs> kid who yeah, lives in Guatemala. At least you're not deported to Guatemala. <laughs> yeah, he's Guatemalan now, but he was yeah. born American. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> you should have sent him to Canada. <laughs> All right. It's time for your feedback. Oops, and for corrections. Apparently, there are several corrections. Um, yeah, Jesse see. really stepped in it last week. I, You know, I, I well, let me say this. I didn't actually watch the movie Safe Haven, and I I spoiled the spoiler. <laughs> and I, I gave a spoiler, but I said the wrong character was a ghost the whole time. Okay, so a few people point out that actor Josh Dumel isn't a ghost in the movie Safe Haven. So there you go. Eric Heel Eric Heel on Twitter said it's a Chevy Equinox, not a Toyota. And uh, Andrew McClure on Facebook told us last week we confused telekinesis with tele- telepathy. Uh, Andrew said that, quote, being a comic book nerd myself, I couldn't help but chuckle hearing them act like they were reading each other's minds in reference to ke- telekinesis. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah. Telekinesis means you can go back in time, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 100% on a telephone. That, Jesse, that's photosynthesis. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, gotcha. <laughs> well, see, what's weird is telekinesis means a different thing in Canada than it does <laughs> I'm here. I'm a creationist. <laughs> 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 sorry. sorry. <laughs> I, because, they, because they was about science. Yeah. All right. 
So uh, your feedback. Last week we asked you, they asked you, to tell us the most awkward or cringeworthy wedding moment you've ever seen. I guess we're in the height of wedding season. <laughs> we are. And um, yeah, there have been a few. You might want to go back and listen at some point because we're planning a relevant thing. Oh, a yeah. We're going to do a wedding. Oh, yeah. And that's why somebody tweeted me about the wedding. If I ever okay. find a girl. <laughs> oh, I'm that in. guy. I yeah, love that guy. If I ever find a girl, I'm, I'm going to ask her to do the podcast. I'm like, you may not want to lead with that. <laughs> yeah. I love hey, listen, I want you guys to do the wedding. Yeah, one small hiccup here. <laughs> yeah. There's a podcast you haven't listened to that I think maybe you might want them to officiate and be a part of it. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. There's a few of our favorites. Okay, so I, I really like Ryan George's. He tells a story <laughs> that is, if when you watch it on video, it's even funnier than if you were there in real life because of the video videographers, uh, how he framed it. So his brother, who is 5'9", 155 pounds, is one of the groomsmen. He's towards the end of the, the line there. But he's starting to have a bad – while he's standing up in front, he's starting to have a bad reaction to poison ivy medication that he had been taking. So his knees lock up, and he starts rocking back and forth. All of a sudden, his bodybuilder uncle, who is 6'2", 240, he's more of an old Navy guy, uh, <laughs> sees him. He bolts from the audience, and he, and he catches Timmy before he hits the ground, right? So the bodybuilder uncle catches him drags him to an empty seat and does the only rational thing that one could do in that situation, which is assume the role of final groomsman. So so the bodybuilder catches him before he hits the floor and he assumes a role at the final end of the groomsman line. And when the wedding, you know, party, when it's time after they say their vows, he just walks away. And he's actually coincidentally wearing a same similar color suit as the rest of the groomsmen. And he escorts the final bridesmaid back down the aisle um, but they said the way that it was trimmed, you never see that take place. All you see is, you know, on one shot, the final groomsman, his brother Timmy, is a little guy. And on the next one, when they're walking out, he is transformed <laughs> into a six foot two, 250 pound bodybuilder. Have you guys ever had the uh, lock knees wobbly happen? Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've yeah. had a couple of groomsmen. I was saying, I've watched a lot of America's Funny Home videos, but no. I was saying last week that uh, I was in four of my buddy's weddings uh, from college and the same guy was in every single one and the same guy passed out in every single one. No. Okay, if you're the third guy getting married... Yeah, you just you don't just ask say, that don't guy. Ask no, you just say thanks. Put him in a wheelchair. But did he do it because of nerves? No, he was just overheated and uh, just couldn't just couldn't make it. The The last wedding, we were all excited because we thought he had made it through and halfway down the aisle on the way out, he buckled. What? I don't out. understand. What what yeah. kind of tuxes are you guys wearing? <laughs> Very tight ones. They're wetsuits. Tw- They're wearing wetsuits. Yeah. <laughs> wetsuit tuxes. It's a heavy tweed. Hey, wetsuits and trash bags. <laughs> it, it's a high school wrestler's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> They're all, they all have to cut weight at the wedding. Bad timing. They do a weigh-in before the wedding and then after the vows. All right, so. So uh, a young lady who I can only assume is using a fake last name, her goes by the name of Nikki Brown Rice. Um, she made two comments, and I like them both because having officiated weddings, I have been uh, kind of got a front row seat to some of these. The first one, she said, I was a maid of honor at my sister's wedding, and everything was great and beautiful until the big kiss. I was ready for everyone to say, ah, but instead we collectively said, ugh, to ourselves as we looked away, and we couldn't run from the sound of a sloshy, wet French kiss in front of God and everyone. Mm. She said, I love them both very much, but that was gross. Wow. And I'm telling you, that is the worst part of officiating a wedding, because you don't go over with the couple beforehand. Hey, what are you guys thinking about kissing? How's this going to yeah. work after do we you wanna, guys? Do we want to run through that? Because yeah. you assume it's just going to be a nice, 
polite kiss, but every once in a while, the real <laughs> true personality comes out, and you say, you know, Captain, you know, Cam Tassa or whatever, you kiss the bride, and then Captain it's... Captain Contessa? Is that Captain Cam Tassa? Contessa. <laughs> yeah, Captain Contessa. I think... Yeah. You'll figure it out. Just go back and listen to last week. Listen to last week. Uh, You kiss your bride, and then they really lay it on. And I mean, so at this point, I'm a foot and a half from this person. Did they ever get handsy? They do, and they make out, and they like do the dip, and I mean, they're really wow. You just really start wildly clearing your throat. I don't. I usually just <laughs> step. Back. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy! No, I just usually step back and try to smile because, of course, there's pictures Lock in that your moment. Knees and <laughs> just pass out. <laughs> pass out on them. So that was gross. And the, and the other one that Nikki shared that was uh, near and dear is that uh, during one of the vows at her cousin's wedding, she and her husband had written letters to each other that they read aloud before they exchanged the vows, and I thought this was sweet. But Nikki said, my grandpa thought it was stupid. So during the middle of their letters to each other, he leans over to me and whispers. And pa- apparently it was a whisper that was loud enough for the congregation. Like an to- old man whisper. Yeah, yeah. which is where, a yell. it's shouting at full volume. It is yeah. a scream Where are yell. my pills? <laughs> right. He said, Nikki, don't do this at your wedding. And apparently <laughs> everyone heard it and it wrecked the moment. Which <laughs> Kudos to you, grandpa. In the awesome. tender moment of exchanging vows, I, uh, I was, we had written... I had written a line of, you know, like a look forward to life together, that type stuff. And then, and uh, one was making a family together, but I emphasized making, <laughs> making a, oh, a family. Oh, no. And, and, and it kind of it. It sat, did you do it on purpose sat on it for a second. Oh, yeah, of course I did it on purpose. Yeah, the, the place just broke. It was, it was, it was good. That's awesome. It was a good, com- good comic timing. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> I was not invited to your wedding. I did not know you. I did oh, not know you existed. Still hurts. I yeah. I think you might have been in Seattle. <laughs> I haven't forgiven you. It's a tender subject. <laughs> what year was this? Uh, two thousand two. No way, dude. I was at UF. Oh yeah, go Gators. Yeah, you're you're a youngin. You were cutting demos for uh, Red Letter, <laughs> my band. <laughs> cutting demos. God, we were so good, so good. Can a band be too good? That's the I, I, yeah. I just, yeah, I don't understand. The only explanation is why we didn't make it big. Too good. <laughs> Too good. Not the fact that our music the world was terrible ready yet. Yeah. Oh, man. I like this one uh, story from. I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Ayrton Sawatsky. No, that's right. <clears throat> One wedding I attended was uh, when I was younger. The bride and groom had written their own vows, which we were just talking about. It's important. When it came to the bride's turn, she pulled out four sheets of notebook paper. What I, <laughs> what I <laughs> like folded up like with the you know like the fringes that were just torn out of the uh, spiral bound. That's the image I'm getting here. Yeah. Uh, what I thought was an internalized groan was apparently very audible, and the other guests did not sympathize. <laughs> How wait? How old is this guy? Is he in his late seventies too? He's uh, eighty-seven. No, I don't know. Did you guys write your own vows? We we did, but we had them read to us. So we kind of hijacked the typical in sickness and health type thing, uh-huh. the call and response, and we yeah. we wrote our own. Oh, and we did the call and response to that. Did you use the typical in it though, or no? No, it, we, oh, we did something same format. Yeah, we did differently. Yeah, wrote my vows, wrote a song, and played it forward too. No, you oh, didn't. Yeah. Wow, I will sure. marry. Does you. that exist anywhere? Uh, some somewhere. Wow, yeah. that's cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was and a cool. lot of people and everyone's who attended in their hearts. <laughs> is, uh, is it like the Adam Sandler song for the from the wedding singer? Exactly, like the, from that. the airplane. <laughs> it was pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. We just added two lines into the middle of the old vows. We did. We just added two lines in the middle of it. I will. Uh, what was? It? What did we add? Oh, I will. 
I look forward to making a family with I will. you. <laughs> no, we added, I will. It's love- gold. It's gold, I tell you. I will. And, and in your notes, it was making was triple underlined. <laughs> <laughs> to denote the inflection, to make everyone And little hearts were written around it. Exclamation points. What were they? What it was the two, uh, the two lines where I will love God, I will continue to love God and faithfully pursue him, and I will love you and faithfully pursue you. We wanted to try to add something. I just melted. A we little. wanted to. Well, because I spoke him to you I just swooned. then. You kind of looked me deep in the eye. I love you, man. <laughs> I love you. It's a Bob Goff kind of love for you. <laughs> Tickle fight. Okay. All right, that'll do it for last week's feedback. If you want to chime in or read more, there's a lot. Head over to the website. A lot of good feedback. It was yeah. really funny. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Well, in honor of our esteemed guest, Bad Banana, we, it got us thinking, what's the funniest tweet you've ever read? Or you've ever done, you know, like yourself. Oh, a little self. The one that you're really proud of. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or read. I mean, because, you know, we all fall, follow funny people on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, I think it'll be fun to read these next week. Head over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Post, post them there. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter, ironically, uh, or on our Facebook page as well. And we'll, we'll read our favorites next week. Any of you guys ha- on top of the head? So, so my favorite tweet of the the whole Sharknado, uh, uh, <laughs> of course, Twitter feeding fest <laughs> was from Horatio Sands. How dare you? How dare you snicker at your own joke? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, yeah, feeding fest. You like that? Yeah. Um, the was from Horatio Sands that said, "I wish I could join in all the shenanigans, but I had a cousin that was killed by a Sharknado back in '93." <laughs> Hashtag Raymond R.I.P. that's pretty good my absolute fit this sounds like i'm sucking up but no one gets me laughing harder than tyler our own tyler huckabee oh yeah Yeah. i mean he is really clever every time i read his tweets i get a little like um jealous for a second because i'm like i'll never i'll never write that that? i will never hold on where was the one that i uh all right, Tyler, my favorite thing uh, that he has written lately, he said, uh, nothing like the feeling of a long nap after a hard workout. Also, before a hard workout. Also, <laughs> instead of. <laughs> He's so clever. I love that guy. Love he it. is really funny. <laughs> All right. Well, to chime in, um, head over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com or hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast or post it on the Relevant Podcast Facebook page, not the Relevant Facebook page. Well, many thanks to Tim Seidel for talking to us. Uh, make sure to check him out on Twitter at Bad Banana. And uh, you can check out his column in the May June issue of Relevant called Life Lessons from a National Pastime. It's about baseball. Mm, love nice. it. TimSeidel.com at Bad Banana. Also, thanks to Haim for talking to us. Uh, make sure to check them out. Uh, well, they're on the cover of The Fader. Uh, they're also in the new issue of Relevant. Haim the Band, H A I M the Band.com. And follow him on Twitter at Haim the Band. On that note, we'll wrap it. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Eddie Koffeltz. Calvin Kearley. I'm Jesse Carey. That's Ty Michael Snavely. We'll see you next week. for listening to the relevant podcast go follow us on twitter at relevant podcast and for more great content check out relevantmagazine.com magazine.com
You were invited to the Law Log Lodge. 